Hello, I'm Andrew Mayle, and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club, a place where music lovers, musicians, crate diggers, writers, readers, and special guests get to share their love for classic albums, weird lost gems, and brand new revelations. My guests today are Mojo Associate Editor Jenny Bully and Lloyd Cole. Hello, gang. Hello. Hello. Now, Lloyd has been at the forefront of songwriting brilliance for almost 40 years, first with his group The Commotions, and since 1990 as a solo artist of rare intelligence, wit, and sophistication. In the wake of such creative highs as 1984's Rattlesnakes, 1991's Don't Get Weird on Me Babe, 2003's Music as a Foreign Language, and 2013's Standards, he has made what this writer believes is one of his finest records to date, sonically innovative and lyrically sophisticated on pain before we talk to lloyd about that album let's hear a snippet from one of the tracks the languid and haunting wolves written by lloyd cole and released on the ear music label i'm lloyd cole and you're listening to the mojo record we'll wait for your bitches we know they will come Welcome. It's really lovely to have you here. This record feels like a kind of perfect union of your interests in electronic minimalism, abstract cosmiche music, but also the ever evolving art of kind of, you know, economic pop songwriting. That's how it seems to me. How did, I mean, how did it feel to you, you know, as he disappeared? <laughs> Embarrassed and has disappeared by my description. Uh, this like... is the joy, the joy of the iPad. Somebody was trying to telephone me. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't stop that, I don't think. <laughs> That's how it seems to me. I mean, how did you approach it? Because it does seem like this kind of real lovely sweet spot between so many of your musical interests. Well, thank you. Um, well, I, I, it really started with the previous record where I decided to try and do what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, to try and bring together. I had a sort of demarcation in my life up until Guesswork because of the album Bad Vibes when I tried to do what we're doing now. I tried to meld my interest in synthesizer music, uh, uh, synthetic instruments, uh, and songs. And, and, in, and in my opinion bad vibes is the nadir of my career and uh, it's probably the only record i would say is definitely wrong uh, and so for many years afterwards i say well i'm not going to do that again um and then i found myself sort of after standards which i was very happy with going, yeah. well what do i do now am i do i keep going um i don't want to do that same record again so um I decided I would try and bring the the electronic and the songwriting together again. And it took an awful long time. It took me about a year to actually pluck up the courage to start because, yeah. because I knew it was going to be difficult and I knew I had to do it on my own. Uh, and I, I made two records on my own in the 2000s, uh, Music in a Foreign Language and Antidepressant. And it was just exhausting. You know, it's much more fun making records with groups of people. Um, but 
I finally plucked up the courage to get started. And thankfully, my friend Chris Hughes was always there on the other end of FaceTime, encouraging me that, yes, this was worthwhile. Um, and so guess what came out? Seemed to be fairly well received. Uh, and I thought, well, I just want to take this idea further. I want to make the abstract more abstract. I want to make the dense denser. And I want to make the minimalist more minimalist. So that's sort of the idea I started with with this record. Uh, in fact, it started with Wolves. Um, yeah. Wolves, Wolves began as a, an abstract modular synthesis piece with two loops going against each other, which I thought sounded lovely. Uh, I then imported it into Logic and tried to see if I could play music along with it. <laughs> and that's how that song started. One of the things that I like about it, and one of the reasons why I think that it works, is that lyrically, it seems that the the world that you're creating with the lyrics seems to kind of seems perfectly suited to those electronic moods because there's kind of there's introspection and there's kind of a a kind of I was listening to the track "You Are Here Now," which is is one of my favorites, and it's almost like kind of a you would might you might describe it as like I I the words I came up to were kind of they cancel each other out. But it's kind of a melancholy optimism, and it kind of. <laughs> I like that. It, I like that. That's pretty much me in my life. <laughs> but it kind of it did make me think of all your like reference points, like the kind of seventies German music, like the sort of you know that sort of pastoral kind of cosmic stuff, you know. But but you're kind of you seem to be finding that mood within the lyrics as well. And I wonder whether those using those loops and kind of using those little electronic pieces helped you go somewhere else with the lyrics helped you find kind of different moods and tones with the lyrics the thing with the lyrics i think once i start a project and once i know that it's going to become something real it's not going to be something that i abandon there's always a point that i realize okay this is going to work um i think at that point i will have already established some kind of I don't maybe I don't know what the right word is, but some kind of mood and some kind of set of parameters that I'm working within. Um, and then I know I'm making an album, so I don't I don't think I consciously do it, but if almost all my albums have got overlapping themes from song to song. Yeah, and and I don't usually notice it when it happens. Rattlesnake's almost embarrassing. There's there's the same phrase in three songs, I think. Uh, uh, but it's that's just the way I work, and uh, I don't notice it. And, uh, and I just, I tr all I'm trying to do when I'm making music is I'm just trying to make something beautiful, and I'm I just keep trying until I think it's there. Mm. There's one um, very thematically satisfying song, uh, "The Idiot," which seems to imagine Bowie and Iggy kind of going to Berlin to, to you know, get clean. Is that? Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's one of the few songs I've ever written that I would say it'd be pretty hard to understand it as anything else than yeah. that. Uh, yeah. It's a, I mean it's 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 a little corny for sure. I mean I look back at it and went, ooh, you know, getting turn blue and speed of life into the lyrics is maybe I don't know, but it, it I don't write very many songs that you could call sweet, and I just thought this was a wonderful. A wonderful moment of basically two guys saving each other. It's yeah. just a it's, it's a lovely thing, 
and it really happened. And they really did wear leg warmers when they went to the studio. <laughs> that is my favourite lyric, I think, about cycling in their leg warmers. <laughs> Thank you. It's very good. Um, sorry, this is a really uh, non-serious question, but have you ever played Iggy at golf? I, I had to wonder. No, no. And, and there's a rumour going around that I played Alice Cooper at golf and I never did. <laughs> I, but, but I did challenge him. Uh, he was play, He was playing in the theatre not far away from my, where I live and I tried to get a message to his tour manager that I'm, I live here if he wants a game of golf and I never heard back. So we had the same handicap at the time. But no, I, I heard Iggy plays golf. I heard I heard Dylan plays golf. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, he bought that sort of castle in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. He play, apparently he plays golf around there. Wow. What, are there any um, have you played many other golfing musicians? Because obviously there's quite a lot of them. Um. I don't think so. I think the only person I ever played golf with as a musician would be Robert Forster. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the most fun day. I knew this golf course. Uh, we had a day off in Porto, and I knew there was this great golf course to the north of Porto. Uh, it was quite a distance, but taxis back in 1991 in Porto were really cheap. So, so we took a taxi out to this uh, golf club. And we played this extremely fun round of golf. And, and then when we got back into the clubhouse, um, we said, could we, could we call a taxi to go back to Porto? They said, there's no taxis here. <laughs> there's, wow. no tax, there's no taxis. And uh, we said, well, this is, this is pre-cell phone days. So we ended up getting a lift on the back of a vegetable truck <laughs> to, the, to the nearest town that had a taxi rank. This is fantastic. <laughs> wow. This, is yeah. this yeah, needs was... to be made into a, a short film, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And we'll both dress like won? Samuel. No, I can't remember who. I think I was probably the more serious golfer. So I'm, I'm not sure if we were that competitive. Yeah. There's a little refrain inside the idiot, um, which reminds me of uh, Street Hassle. The Lou Reed track and I was just kind of and the look on your face suggests that um it wasn't intentional no I don't like I don't like street hustle <laughs> uh, um I kind of like you know you know the ultimate insult to a musician is I like what you're trying to do <laughs> and, and I do kind of like what Lou's trying to do on street hustle but I think he fails pretty miserably yeah uh um so no, I'm not quite sure which bit you mean. Okay, I mean, may maybe I'll just retreat back into the shadows at this point. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 is it the kind of rhythmic stringy thing? Yes, it is. I think yeah. it is. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, that is that is what I, that's the bit that I was talking about. That is a great idea. Yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't quite get it right to my yeah. anyway. Yeah. So may, yeah, maybe it's it's the idea because it is a lovely idea and it works really well and that kind of and adds to that kind of that you know sort of hypnotic kind of feel that a lot of the album has that kind of real nice sort of benign hypnotism to it. Uh, you know, most of the idiot is all Blair Cowan uh, from okay. the commercials. Yeah, uh, I took a piece that he wrote that was called I think it was called and so we beat on. Yeah, uh, and. And I just did what I did for a lot of the album. And I sort of worked rather than with instruments. It was more like music concrete. And I just cut up his bits yeah. and then put them, back, put them back together in an order that could be a song. 
Yeah. And, and so his, his chorus was exactly as it was, but the first I had to move around and the end we had to move around. And the very, I did very little playing on it, just I, a lot of treatments. A bit like when I was working on that record with, with Redelius, there was a couple yeah. of tracks where I, I didn't play anything. I just, I just treated what he played. And he, he sent you some very strange bits of quote-unquote music to work with, didn't he? Oh, he did. He said the, 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 the one that I enjoyed most was he was scraping some rocks by a stream. And, <laughs> I, and I, managed, I managed to sample them all and put them into a rhythm, which would then work with some other things. It was, it was great fun. You know, we were mixing this album uh, and something good happened. And Chris Hughes, who was who actually produced the whole record. It's now, now known as Chris Merrick Hughes, by the way, because uh, uh, there's another Chris Hughes out there, apparently. Anyway, Chris, uh, something happened, and Chris just said, I fucking love making records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's still where I'm at. I still, uh, you know, I, I enjoy playing live. I, I enjoy the fact that the records mean something to people, but I do love that, oh, my God we're making a proper record here feeling. Am I right in thinking that um, the artist that you've come here to talk about today, um, Joan Wasser, AKA Jonas Policewoman, is also on the new record as well? She's uh, singing with me on Wolves. Yeah. You might not hear her, but she's one of the Wolves. Yeah. Actually, she's two, she's two of the Wolves. <laughs> and kind of, I think it's related because you were talking earlier about the difference between, you know, doing something on your own and then bringing in people you like to work with and people you can trust. So maybe we can talk about what Joan brings to her project, but also your projects. I just had to go and get my notes and uh, I have them and I've got the lyric sheets for the album in case. This is, see, this is already uh, brilliant and above and beyond, Lloyd. You've got notes, which is fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm old. <laughs> and it, it is being applauded at this end. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club with me, Lloyd Cole. The record you've brought in to talk about today is Real Life, the debut solo album by Jonas Policewoman, a.k.a. Joan Wasser, released in June 2006. Before we start, let's hear a little bit from one of the standout tracks, Christabel, written by Joan Wasser and released on Reveal Records. Yes, Christabel. Remember the first time you would have heard real life? I can definitely remember the feeling that I had because I'd known Joan a little bit um, because she was in the East Village and she was involved in various projects that I knew about. She used to be in the band, the Dam Builders. Uh, yeah. And in the late, the last few years that I was in New York, I was keyboard player in a band called Brilliantine, which was Dave Derby's band. And Dave was the coast leader of the Dam Builders with Joan. Um, so I met Joan a few times through Dave and she was quite striking and very wild. I think she was almost always wearing a red catsuit. Um, and she was, I think at the time she was with Jeff Buckley as well. Um, and then I think 
I don't, I don't know who gave me the album. Somebody gave it to me or somebody told me about it. And, and I was just completely floored because Joan always seemed like somebody that was never really going to quite get it together for her own project. She's an amazing musician. She made a great living doing sessions and doing string arrangements for, for other people. Um, but she was also untamed. Uh, and she told me uh, about the making of this record, um, that she recorded the whole thing in between other projects, uh, obviously with a very minimal budget. And they recorded the drums and the bass to tape, which was, uh, still is a thing, and everything else to digital. And then when the album was finished and they were getting ready to mix it, the engineer somehow or other erased his hard drive and he didn't have a backup. So everything except the drums and bass had to be recorded again. Oh and somehow God. or other, that's how Joan got straight. Yeah. Wow. Somehow or other, somehow or other, that thing happening didn't make her fall to pieces. That thing happening made her get her shit together. And she's been, uh, she's been straight ever since. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, when I first heard the record, uh, I still get it. it I, I love the opening track well enough, but when Eternal Flame kicks in, yeah, I still get goosebumps. Like all these years later, there's something absolutely magical about that track, and it doesn't sound like anybody else. It's got this amazing urgency to it, and yet there's a languid quality to the rhythm section. Um, it's just, I mean, I'm still, I, like I said, I don't really know how to say. Talk about music that, that's that great. <laughs> I think when it kind of something hits you in a kind of visceral way, it kind of it does go, you know, beyond words. But you've kind of you've captured something of that in talking about it and just talking about the impact. And it's really striking because it's an album that I didn't know well. And I went and listened to it and I was listening to this first track and I was feel, I was thinking, this is this is uh, this is OK. And I'm just but wondering why why Lloyd has gone with this particular album. And then once I'm inside the record and I'm kind of in the heart of it, I'm going, this is terrific. And it, and it wasn't clicking with me at all. And then it suddenly did. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much an album. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's only two tracks on it that I don't think are perfect. And foolishly, I told Joan that last week when I told her, because <laughs> I, I emailed her to say, could I get the lyrics? Because uh, I was just thinking about that today, how, unfortunate it is to be a music critic who probably doesn't have so much time that so the first time you listen to an album you probably have a lyric sheet with you yeah and I always I always think it's better to to hear it without the lyric sheet first and when I agreed to do this podcast I realized I'd never ever looked at the lyrics for the album and I never really knew what mm -hmm. some of them were I don't really I don't really do that I just I, I'm more attracted to the mood and the timbre of the voice and the emotion that it, that it does. And Joan is a writer who writes very much for the sound of the words. The songwriters that I hate are the ones that think that the meaning is more important than the music. And they all, they're always terribly clumsy. Um, is, I mean, is ironic because there's a certain small, or maybe kind of, there's a section of your fans who are all about what you write and your lyrics, aren't there? And kind of, and always have been, and kind of will dissect your lyrics and look and 
ponder their meaning and everything. So, that that yes, um, <laughs> I think I think my lyrics are good and they and they're worth listening to, but I do, I, I don't care what people get from my songs. Yeah. All I care about is hopefully making their lives a little bit better by the music being in their lives. Mm. Uh, I, I, my feeling about lyrics is that anybody's interpretation of any lyric is necessarily correct. Yes. And, and if you ever hear an artist saying, oh, that's not what that song's about, then that's, in my opinion, very disappointing comment by the artist. <laughs> when I heard Bowie say that one time, I was like, oh, no, not don't say that, David. No. Because, yeah, because there's that sense that once it leaves you, it becomes the property of someone else. It's like the it is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the death of the author. It's very yeah. simple. And 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 uh, and uh, I think it was it was Bart who wrote the death of the author. Yeah. That, that said that said, you know, to limit the text in that method is to basically kill the text. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so I, I love the fact that people hear different things. I've heard people. Well, people have said things to me about certain songs, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, that's wonderful!" I didn't, I had no idea it could be. It, I had no idea you could hear it like that. Um, and other times, I look back at songs and go, "Oh, that's what was in the back of my mind." I, yeah. It was not in the. It wasn't in the front of my mind, but that's what was in the back of my mind. And kind of, and as you say, when you kind of go back to an album, and you can hear that there is a theme running through it that you'd never previously considered, or something, or you know. Yeah, and and with with Jones' record, I mean, there is definitely this is definitely the album that she made after Jeff died. There's no yeah. no question about that. Um, I don't, I didn't, I never felt like I needed to to dig any deeper than that. Mm. And that was, you know, yes, there's a, it's a, it's an album that's dealing with loss and uh, so this album could quite easily be called on loss we actually have a little clip of joan talking to mojo's ted kessler about the experience of that loss and grief and how it led her in a new creative direction i had no emotional vocabulary with which to deal uh and you know the way that i knew how to emote was through music you know i uh that had always helped me before. Two of the two of his band members and uh, Parker Kindred and uh, Michael Ty and I put uh, an ensemble together after that, pretty much to stay alive. You know, to just sort of like make sure that we were all going to just like make it through. And uh, that's when I sort of started singing and figuring out how to write songs. I never thought I could write a song because I was playing an instrument that was um, a melodic. Uh, instrument, not a, an accompany normally, an accompanying instrument. Mm. And then I started playing guitar a little bit, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is how people write songs." Uh, I went in in another way, which was learning how to sing, which was horrifying because I never wanted to sing. Mm. So we're sort of fi- figure, finding that together while also just uh, um, being really self-destructive and f- also at the same time trying to um, make sure that we all uh, just sort of stayed Didn't alive. actually destruct. Yeah. 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 One of the first things that, that, that took me aback was how great a singer she is. Mm. She is really, and, and, and she does this thing, she makes singing sound easy. Yes. She makes it sound like it's not difficult. 
and it's and it's and it's and it's quite often some of the music is quite complex she's very she's very gifted I mean, and as her career's developed i mean uh she just made an album with tony allen before he passed away she's very much into polyrhythmic and she do you know um um it's called let it be you it's i think maybe her fourth fourth album that she right. made with her boyfriend the title track of the top Oh, mm-hmm. the title track of that is just out of this world in terms of the way that she's working with polyrhythms, but it doesn't sound difficult. Mm. Uh, one of the things I hate in music is willfully difficult music. Yeah. <laughs> like free jazz or something. Yeah. I have no time for it. It's like, you know, it, the people joke about it, like it's more fun to play than it is to listen to. Well, it certainly sounds that way. I love uh, the warning bell off Damn Devotion, that song she did, an album she did in 2018, I think. Yeah, I only, I didn't, I didn't oh. even know that album until this week. I just heard that oh, song a couple of days ago. It's beautiful, isn't it? Incredible. It's one yeah. of those things, like you were saying about the the way she convo- conveys emotion in that. And I, I don't know what the lyrics are. Genuinely, I don't. But it makes me want to well up every time I hear it. It, it hits me in the way that. You know how some songs make you kind of a bit teary despite yourself. Like I could never oh, choose absolutely. to go to island discs because I'd be in a puddle. You know, absolutely. I, I I used to have. I said I haven't tried it for a while, but uh, uh, Nina Simone singing "Do What You Got to Do" mm. would do it for me every time. And if I was if I was ever sort of depressed and just needed to do the crying to mm. get started again. I would just listen to do what you got to do. I'd weep and then I'd move on. Uh, I played a concert in in Sweden maybe 15 years ago, and the guy who was driving us around Sweden came to, up to me after the concert and he said, "Lloyd, there were grown men crying at the back." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know that that that's my job. I I, I went to see Leonard Cohen and I cried. Yeah. How could you not?" Yeah. Yeah. And her, her voice is very, because I haven't listened to the debut record for quite a long time, and her voice is very different on this record, isn't it? She's able to kind of sing in different voices. You know, it's quite, it's, she sounds quite New Yorkian on this record. And she, she sounds does, like she, smooth she, she, and soul on later records. And Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a sonic edge to her voice. Uh, especially when they're stacking it up with the backing vocals, that she, she's mm. she's definitely she's not she's m- melding uh, some very smooth timbres with some quite edgy ones, and I think that's one of the, re- the reasons the record works. Because if the whole album sounded as smooth as uh, say anyone, which mm. is probably the most the most wonderful track on the record. Mm. Then it would probably just be a bit too much. It would be it would be Joan doing Hall and Oates or something, but it isn't. But it isn't. It isn't. And she's. Uh, I mean, she's publicly said that you know her her music comes from her love of two things, which is R and B and punk rock. Mm. And yeah. you can hear it. Christabel sounds like the early early The Cure, doesn't it? Yes, yes absolutely. it does, isn't it? In in, in a fantastic way. Yeah, uh, it's got that yeah. forest sort of. Yeah. Thing it's got like that drive and that sound of the guitars mm-hmm. that, are, that are not trying to sound smooth at all. In contrast to the raw wildness of Christabel, let's hear an example of Joan's smoother, more languid vocal style from the track Anyone, written by Joan Wasser and Anna E and released on Reveal Records. 
worked with her a, a number of times now what qualities does she have as a collaborator Lloyd what's she like to work with she sees things from a different angle to me that's why I would like I've been lucky that she sang on a few of my records mm. uh, on the on this album there was only time for her to work on on Wolves she had ended up going away to make some other projects she was on um but uh um I wanted to play, to play piano on uh, the album Broken Record, which is the first album I made after hearing this album. Mm. Um, and Dave Derby was producing it, um, well, co-producing with me. And so I said, could we get Joan in to do some singing and maybe some piano playing? Uh, and I asked her if she would play piano in this song and, and, and she, she took Dave aside. She goes, what, what, does he, what does he want from me? Because <laughs> I just, I just, I'd love the way she plays piano. So I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. And, and Dave said, oh, he just wants your Nick Cave thing. <laughs> <laughs> so all my piano players sound like it's not their main instrument. All my favorite piano players. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I do like Cave's piano playing. I love Neil Young's piano playing. I love Springsteen's piano playing. I love John Lennon's piano playing. The only piano player I can think of by somebody who's really a great pianist that I actually like is probably Life on Mars. Yes. Maybe Thunder Road. Uh, but Jones, Jones, you know, and I was thinking this record, because she made it on such a relatively slim budget, uh, nearly all the records just her, the bassist and the drummer. Yeah. And uh, the only other musicians that come in are guest vocalists or uh, the brass I asked her if the brass was arranged by her and it wasn't. Doug Rieselman did the brass arrangements, which I think are very, very elegant. But I like that that minimalism that it has is is I think really powerful. That just kind of that and that's that's also shows an incredible confidence for a first yes. album as well. Yes, it? exactly. Yeah. Uh, she yeah, that, I mean that's why it was that's why it was so shocking. Yeah. I mean, it's not it doesn't seem shocking now. But Joan just never seemed like somebody that would do that. Joan, Joan just seemed like somebody that would float through life. Mm. Yeah. She played with Anthony and the Johnsons, didn't she? Just, and that she did. Uh, and Anthony and Anthony sings mm. on one of the tracks on this record. And, That's right. And, and 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 I would say that the, his singing on the album makes me like hers even more. Yeah, I mean Anthony. Anthony's singing is you know it's, I, I like it well enough. But mm. when I hear the two next to each other, I go. I just like Joan better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I know what I know what you mean. It's that kind of that contrast is um, is a fascinating thing. I wonder. I, I I always end up asking this question of of songwriters that when you you listen to someone like Joan, is part of you listening as a songwriter and going, oh, "What's she doing there?" And you know, and kind of, and how's it? Or are you are you listening as a as a fan? Are you just kind of losing yourself in the music, or is there a part of you that's going? 
How did she do that? I, th- I think I think I think I'm listening listening as a fan. Yeah. Uh, I certainly I certainly try to. Being a musician is a hindrance when it comes to listening to music, especially music that's close to the music that I make. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to to listen to something that's you know it's one of those awful things when when I first started touring like a kind of troubadour because I was broke. Um, I you know, I just traveled around the world with a couple of guitars. I'd get to venues and, and they, people would have thought really hard about trying to get the music to play before and after the show. And they would always come up with stuff that's just like my music. It's like, that's the last thing you want to yeah. hear when you're just about to hear me. So I, 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 now, and I, I now travel with my own little iPod that's got music for before and after. And I was thinking about this when I chose this album. I think the most played artist on those t- uh, mixtapes that i made are is john yeah 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 who, who else who else is on the the little pre-gig mixtape? well the one the one that i have for the most recent tour the middle in between the two sets is only the only ones yeah um the end of the show ends with at last i am free chic yeah and then the start of my heart by john and <laughs> I can't remember what else. Maybe uh, I think maybe one of the songs from Young Americans, one of the maybe Win. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah. And then the, the 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 long playlist for before the show. Gosh, I can't remember what everybody's in it. Do, do you know Kirkus? Yes, Australian, yeah. Australian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love Kirkus. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm I'm email friends with him now because he started making instruments. Uh, and I I, I actually uh, when we were. Well, when I was thinking of people to make the Wolves remixes, I approached him, uh, but he's too busy doing something else. But he, but he was very nice about it. Uh, maybe sometime in the future. I that album. I don't know if it's pronounced Veed or V Day, but that album is incredible. I, I, it's just it doesn't doesn't again. That, that was one of the records that hit me almost as hard as real life. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my, why am I talk, Why am I talking about him? I've lost, the, I've lost my train of thought. You, no, you this, intro. Is, this is all interesting. Oh, yeah. So, good, yeah, yeah. So, the intro, intro music. Yeah, him, uh, Bob Hund, the band from Sweden, who yeah. mm-hmm. uh, probably my favorite rock band. Um, let's see what else. Probably probably some, some chic. Uh, probably, uh, you know, probably a bit of cluster. Uh, I can't remember. I, I I should have brought if I'd have brought my computer computer over, I could have read it to you. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to do the next one because we're going to be going. I'm, you know, I'm touring with a band. Yes. Uh, it's which is you know for the first time that it's not been like a a, a, a reunion thing. For the first time, I've been with a band since 1995. Wow. So uh, yeah, and I've just started thinking, what am I going to? play before the shows I can start making those set lists and it's going to be there's going to be a lot of this guy that I discovered this week Colin Stetson oh, oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's he's wild and he's incredibly productive I was just I just started looking at how many yeah. records he's made recently I was feeling very lazy <laughs> and do you know Callie Malone yeah oh I love and Callie Malone yeah. Yeah. yeah Callie Malone I, she's I, I she, that's the only music that I can listen to while I'm working. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I started experimenting with, to see if I would like certain types of drone music. And I like her 
yeah. way more way more than anybody else I found yet. I've I've been looking at who else is making what they quote unquote drone music. Yeah. But yeah, she's incredible. No, she's so, so I think that the audience yeah. will see what the audience think about 20 minutes of one note. <laughs> no, Maybe you can put your uh, digital random noise generator to work, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. So you read the you read the uh, you read Michael's piece. I think I, I, I did create an album well, completely based around one yeah. digital random noise generator. <laughs> it's 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 over there somewhere. Uh, yeah, I, I did have a quick listen to it on Bandcamp. Not all of it, I have to confess. <laughs> no, don't worry, don't worry. It was I. I didn't. I didn't really consider it to be an album, which is why I didn't print. I just thought it. I thought it was a sort of very much a, a COVID lockdown project, and it was but just I something that happened. The your um, work in electronic music since um, Plastic Wood is it? That was the first one. Yeah. yeah. I've loved following that and I kind of you know I, I just think it's been fantastic that you've gone down that path and it does feel like this is kind of as I said at the start it feels like this is some kind of of culmination of those two routes that you've been taking yeah my wife and my manager might disagree but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I've got the sneaky feeling that the uh, you know the, when I finally get the big placement in a big movie it's going to be one of the abstract instrumental pieces <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely um lloyd it's been a utter joy to talk to you um today about your own music and and, and joan and everything and so thank you so much thank you for oh. taking the time out thank you for bringing in notes that's that was, um, <laughs> and uh and just say it's been it's been a delight so thank you oh thank you so much for having me the mojo record club Right, so should we carry on then? Okay, now we get to the point in the podcast where my Mojo co-host and I both talk about our albums of the week. Mine is Fuse by Everything But The Girl. It's their 11th album, but it's their first in over 20 years. When I interviewed Tracy Thorne back in 2016, I asked her whether an Everything But The Girl reformation would ever happen, and she said, very unlikely. She also said that she didn't think everything but the girl had ever truly made a classic album in their lifetime. She said um, to me, we fall between the gaps. And for some people, that's precisely what they like about us. Well, I wonder whether this might not be that classic album. Um, one of the things that I love about how their sound has changed since they were last with us is how... Tracy's voice is, seems to be used more as an instrument than ever before. It's kind of, I love how it melds with Ben's voice and how it kind of changes in sort of timbre and tone. But I also like that it's an album that kind of moves from the hypnotic and the melancholy and the dreamlike to kind of tracks of like, you know, joyful dance floor uplift mm -hmm. and escape. But all the time it's kind of bound up with a kind of an awareness of chaos and midlife crisis and and failure um let's play a little bit of the first track released from the album nothing left to lose written by ben watt and tracy thorne and released on buzz and fly records and then we'll come back and have a chat about it this is nothing left to lose i need a thicker skin this pain keeps getting in tell me what to do I've always listened to you 
Obviously, there's lots of not not nostalgia, but you know that kind of the way it harks back to a sort of '90s clubland is very satisfying. They've got a lot of mileage out of embracing writing from a, a sort of older person's perspective. Yeah, so it's still a kind of combination of sad songs and dance beats that they do so beautifully. But there's a perspective on it, which is much broader than that. And it's easy to sort of identify with this, you know, there's songs about loss. And what's that? What's the amazing track about, you know, I lost my job, I lost my handbag, I lost my mind, you know, (laughs) which turns out to be about the death of someone's mother. Yes. It's beautiful. And I think that I was talking to somebody about this, because, I mean, that often does get, you know, sort of, dismissed as sort of gen x nostalgia and kind of sentimentality and all that kind of things but you realize that that you get to a certain age and you realize that all the things that you kind of measured your life out in and all the things you kind of judged your youth by are suddenly going away it's inevitable you know and kind of and so to and one of the kind of side effects of having musicians having longer careers and you know and being making music and making pop music as older performance performers Mm. is that you get songs that address that and i think everything but the girl are absolutely perfect at that and kind of you know they're 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 aware of the kind of can you hear my cat i must apologize for the sound of (laughs) my, my cat has come in demanding to be fed so um you might hear him kind of moaning in the background. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but yet yeah, that they kind of managed to capture all that in a way that doesn't seem self-indulgent. It doesn't f- seem like poor me. Instead, they bring a kind of poetry to it, but a poetry that kind of, you know, speaks to the life of, in a way, yeah. kind of regular middle-class, middle-aged people, which sounds, you know, ridiculous, but it's, they do it perfectly. There's that song, uh, and you know, and in and it's kind of funny as well as being often. Yes, no, that's I think that's a really important point to make. They they yeah. there's enough wit and self-reflexive wit there that they're not doing it without irony. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's what song that seems to be partially about the economics of Clubland. You know, the one that begins with someone cashing up and then yes. you know, it's simple, keep the same crowd, which is great, so clever. But my favourite song, I think, is No One Knows We're Dancing, which is, you know, they're dancing at 5pm on a Sunday, which is so evocative of the, you know, that new trend for old people to go to clubs in the middle of the afternoon so they can be home by 10. You know, (laughs) I hope it's about that. But there's a lovely line in that where she says, uh, uh, Fiat Cinquecento. And she repeats Fiat Cinquecento until it becomes kind of doomed and romantic. It's, yeah, it's just this brilliant. kind of, and just this mantric kind of chance or something, you know. Yeah, yeah it's great. And just kind Carino. of awareness yeah. of kind of sad suburban details that they've always been really good at. But, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, absolutely fantastic. Um, Jenny, what is your album pick for this week? My album for this week is uh, Mud Honey from the Sublime to the Ridiculous ridiculously sublime mm. uh, their new record it's their 11th album which but you know for a band that's been going 35 years it's really they haven't put out that many records yeah uh, it's called mud honey and it's called plastic eternity mm. and uh, it was recorded in seattle with johnny sangster who they 
made records with for many years on a console that was built for stacks in 1969. So oh, fantastic! Well, that might be, might be one of the reasons why it has this kind of crunchy warmth to it. I guess we should maybe hear a little bit of it before we carry on talking about it. This is "Move Under" by Mud Honey, written by Mud Honey from the album Plastic Eternity, released on Sub Pop Records. smart it's literate it's kind of grimy and it's funny again which I think is key the key with Matani which I always put down to Mark Arm's brilliantly kind of droll diction mm. which ties back to we were talking about Iggy Pop with Lloyd earlier and obviously he's a huge Stooges fan and they've you know had that sound in theirs for a long time but like Iggy he just has that way of delivering quite serious songs in way that sound a little bit kind of gonzo and you know, it's just brilliant and they have this consistently garage rock sound but they have really broad musical tastes mud honey they're big musos steve turner their guitarist particularly has is a massive record collector so dan the drummer's song one or two sounds a bit like fearless from metal uh there's a song almost everything which uh, i believe the working title was uh gopal because it's and it sounds exactly like sam gopal lemmy's early band oh, of course yeah sort of, you know heavy psychedelic kind of yeah. rock I don't know if you remember, but years ago they did a recording of um, Hawkwind's Urban Gorilla for a major yeah, I CD. I do remember that. That was fantastic, brilliant. wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And the, the song Almost Everything is definitely in that vein. Uh, in, in the song Cascades of Crap, are we allowed to say crap, Sue? I think we are. We're actually allowed yeah. to say worse words than that, but uh, don't, you know, don't jump, don't jump on the opportunity. Cascades of Crap, which uh, apparently is their bassist's little tribute to J.J. Burnell, and it's got sort of Stranglers referencing lines on it. And it's also got a, a little intro like Madness, that kind of do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do up at the beginning. The other thing that I feel is is worth saying about it is like you have all that. You have the wit. You have the intelligence. You have the kind of self-referential stuff. You have that kind of intelligence but what they haven't lost sight of is the fact that you still want the riffs and they are still so good at yeah. coming, coming up with the riffs. And so, yeah, fine, you know, be, be, in, be intelligent, be self-referential, be clever, be learned, but also be dumb and give me the riffs. And they never forget that you need, you need that as well, which I, no. think, I think that's one of the reasons why. I'm not as big a Mud Honey fan as you, which might raise the question, who is? But, you know, <laughs> I I loved it for that reason, that I could kind of see it as this kind of, you know, album made by older people with a kind of a, a learned wit to it, but also love of the dumb riff at the heart of it as well. It's a consistency, which is never to be underestimated. And, no. the, you know, there are some bands that you just always, I feel the same about Dinosaur, you know, that whole, always different always the same phrase yeah, yeah. It's sort of a it's sort of a comforting reliability you kind of mm. like there's they realize that they are making and this isn't uh pejorative used in a pejorative sense they realize that they are making product 
for you to consume with pleasure. And of course, they rhyme Jean Genet with Japanese B-Day. Oh, please. I'm glad we got that in before the show ended. That's entirely yes. necessary. And then I think totally, totally the theme, isn't it? And yeah. all three of them have a way of being miserable without intention, without yeah. you know, intending to be miserable. Exactly. Are we going to have a little bit of Little Dogs, which is the closing oh, track on the record? Tell, with... tell me why we should play a little bit uh, from Little Dogs, the closing Because track this on the is a song about the joys of small dog breeds, Andrew, and I think people of our age can appreciate that. There's a line on there that says, if you let them out at night, you've got to watch out for owls. Oh, they make me This is Little Dogs by Mudhoney, written by Mudhoney, from the album Plastic Eternity, released on Sub Pop Records. Little feet scamper across the sands of time, taking four steps or more. How brilliant. And also, I love the fact that he sings it like Iggy. Exactly. reference to I Want to Be Your Dog. But it's actually rather than it being about kind of like, you know, base sexual activity, it's about um, a little like, tiny breeds of dog. Isn't that fantastic? It is. Mark Arm is a keen adopter of dogs. They foster dogs. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny. That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Andrew. And watch out for owls. I will. I will. This is important information. <laughs> okay. You have been listening to Lloyd Cole. Jenny Bully, and myself, Andrew Mayle. That was the Mojo Record Club. We hope to see you at the next one. You can all join in. And look in the episode description for full details of all the tracks we played and how to sign up for the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Mojo Record Club. Welcome to Las Vegas.